the scriptures in Revelation 10, uh, 1, through 10 uh, 1 through 11. Now, for those of you who think that the start of the end is Revelation chapter 1 through 9, I'm not here to tell you no. This is when it happens. In Revelation 10, this is when it goes down. There is no coming back. When Jesus and the angel of the Lord, which we'll get into in a minute, when they step in the water and on earth and they make that proclamation, it's on. And there ain't no going back. So I want you to stand with your scripture. We're going to read Revelation 10, 1 through 11. And we're going to honor God's word. This is intense, y'all, unless you're just seeing words. I hope, you can, I hope you have eyes to see and ears to hear, because if you do, this is going to be really cool. Here we go. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on land, and he called out with a loud voice like a roaring lion. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay." but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, go and take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll, and he said to me, take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey." And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. And, I was, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Heavenly Father, let these be your words to your children. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Be seated, please. Wowsy wow, wow. Read that, absorb that, and I'm going to explain to you exactly what it means so you can see how thick this passage really is. It's another one of those parenthetical passages. They appear from time to time in Revelation, and what they do is they turn the awfulness of God's wrath, and they turn and focus our attention back on Jesus, on the Lamb of God. Now, I have told you before that I'm not a huge fan of the rapture theory because it is a theory. The word rapture and everything came out of the 1800s, and there will be a taking away. But what I have noticed is when people study eschatology and end times and they get all caught up in a rapture theory, they sit back and they open a Coke in their lounge chair and they say, well, I don't have to care because I'm going to get raptured out of here anyway. Where is their focus? Their focus is on the rapture, not on Jesus. I'm here to proclaim to you You must keep your eyes focused on Jesus and whatever his rapture thing works out, it doesn't matter. You have pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. I am a pan-trib. It's all gonna pan out the way God wants it anyway. Here's the other thing. You know, full of yourself, biblical scholar. You know, I don't care how well you know Hebrew and Greek. Jesus says no one knows the day or hour, so why you keep pushing on this door, you know? If you open it up, you're opening it up to falsehood. 
Look, the Jews missed the Messiah. You think we might not understand this eschatology that's wrapped up in seven different books of the Bible? All spoken in, in you know, quasi-language that's supposed to be interpreted through not only the lens of the times, but our times through what they might have said. You follow? Let's go back 2,000 years in a time capsule, and let's look at any individual, and we're speaking their language, and they know our language, let's just say they're all English, and you use this phrase. I've told you this before, but I can't come up with anything better. I pulled up to the pump and filled up. I pulled up to the pump and filled up. Think of those words, pump, filled, up, pulled. Take our language, connect that sentence together, and tell me somebody's going to understand that we're talking about fueling for transportation. They're not going to get that unless they know our culture, yeah? There's a lot of that stuff in the Bible where it reads this way in English, but it actually has a different and deeper meaning if you understand the ancient culture. See, in the midst of God's wrath, we desperately needed to be reminded of his great power, and we got to be reminded of that daily in this country. And there's one fundamental problem in the world today. We leave Jesus out of the calculations and plans, and then everything is off kilter. Like I said, you will have your path cut right? And you will cut it as a believer saved by grace with your name written in the Lamb's book of life, or you will cut it as either a fake Christian or an agnostic or whatever you want to, whatever you want to label you want to give somebody that thinks that way and believes that way. For those of us who have tasted Jesus's righteousness, and we not only know that it's real, we know that it's good, we know that we can't live without it. We can't even comprehend calculating plans without Jesus being at the forefront. Think about ancient astronomy. Aristotle and the boys, what did they believe? They believed the earth to be the center of the universe. This hurt some of their theories, yes? Well, guess what? Nicholas Copernicus and Johannes Kepler, they came along and they discovered that the sun was actually the center of the solar system and all other things revolved around it. And guess what happened then? Everything started to fall into place and make sense. This is easily researchable. The world has cut Jesus from the picture and replaced him with faulty institutions, United Nations type stuff, and what's resulted? Total chaos. There are laws and policies trying to be put into place in America right now that have been put into place in other countries, like Venezuela, like South Africa. They're running for their lives. 30% of the population is trying to get out. Because when you take Jesus out, nothing falls into place. Again, the whole game is one thing. Where's your name written? And here's the other thing that's so cool about the gospel. You can't write your own name in the book. I don't care, you can serve 20 hours a day for 100 years and you still can't even get your first part of the first initial of your name written in that book. Jesus writes it in there when you accept his free gift of salvation and you believe that God sent him. Well, some people say that this passage is uh, the middle of tribulation period. I don't know about that. I think this is, the, where Jesus, this is where there's no turning back is the way I read it. Let's notice what's taking place on the earth as we begin to see the end. Point number one in our first four verses today, the angel shows up. The angel shows up. 
Now, who is this? Some think it's Jesus. Why would they say that? Well, where did the angel come from? His abode, he came from heaven, yeah? What does the cloud that he's wrapped in signify? It's this cloudy pillar. What does that signify? Go back to your Old Testament. Glory, yeah? What about the rainbow after the flood over his head? That'd be the promise of mercy. Yes, mercy and promise. And then the sun, what's the sun shining like the sun mean? That's deity, that's glory. So many people say that this angel is actually a manifestation of the Messiah himself. If not, at minimum, at minimum, this angel was commissioned with the power of God on high to make the declaration as the conquering warrior. That much is plain as day. And the reason I think it could easily be Jesus, by the way, my theology doesn't rest on this issue, whether that's actually Jesus or a high, 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 high top angel of the Lord himself, doesn't really matter. What matters is they wanted a sign all along. Go back to the Mount of Transfiguration. They wanted a sign, and God gave them a sign. God's given us signs over and over and over again. Matthew 12, 38 says this. It says, Matthew 12, 38 says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. You just watched a man's shriveled hand become whole. You watched a paraplegic get up, carry his mat, and walk away. You watched us feed 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves and picked up 12 baskets left over, but you want a sign. All right. God says, I'll give you a sign. When he was born, I put a star in the sky. When he died, I put the sun out. I blocked it out. Now he stands in his glory, and his glory is outshining the sun itself. You want a sign. The legs of fire, what does that mean? That means judgment. That means judgment is coming. Look, there's going to be no little wink, wink at the sin in our lives. We killed our king to take care of our sin. God smote the perfect lamb of God so that my sin could be taken care of, and that blows me away every day. I'm the last person that needs his name or gets his name written in the Lamb's book of life, but I know it's there. How can that not dominate what I do with my world in the, in the days that I've been given? See, Jesus walked here. He lived here, and he died here. And he has watched his world persecute the saints, devastate his world, turn a deaf ear to the calls, but he's coming back. And he's not coming back as the, the meek Mr. Nice Guy this time. He's coming back with wrath. And Revelation 10 tells us who we're going to stare down. You know, we have that song, just looking into the wonderful eyes of Jesus. With a voice that's like many rushing waters and eyes that are like fires of flame, grabs you by the throat and holds you up and looks you in the eye. I'm just looking into the wonderful eyes of Jesus. So happy to be in the arms of my Savior. And in that moment, he's going to look at me. And he's going to tell me he loved me and that I was worth dying for. That's when the hugging takes place. When the one who could cast you into hell and you deserve to go there. All of us deserve to go there, by the way, not just the Hitlers of the world. And he says, no, you're forgiven. Because of my work, you accepted my work. His wrath is coming. 
And I, because my name is written in that book, am set aside from his wrath. Which means whatever happens here, I should be able to deal with, yeah? So what is he doing? He's doing two things. He's holding and he's standing in our passage today, okay? He's holding a book of prophecy, it says. Possibly one of the Old Testament prophets. So I want to go back to one of the Old Testament prophets real quick, and I want to show you something, because on one hand, this is so cool. It's so cool of God to do this. On the other hand, it just, oh, come on. Daniel 12, 4 says this. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. When did we invent the airplane? Turn of the century, 1900, yeah? I think 1903 or 1905, something like that, the Wright brothers flew the first Kitty Hawk, yeah? What did we do in 1969? We landed on the moon. In 60 years, nothing else has to be said. Did knowledge greatly increase? Since I went to seminary in 1995, in 95, there was a Super Bowl played between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Arizona Cardinals. In the middle of that game at halftime, a company named Prodigy came on the air live for a Super Bowl commercial, told us the score of the game, and said this new thing called the interweb is going to change our life. From that day to now, how much has knowledge increased? Are we living in the times of the end? So he's holding this book of the prophecy. He's also standing. By the way, when he's standing there, I already mentioned it because I got excited at the beginning of the service, but he is claiming the sum total of the earth for himself. This is what victors would do in that, that time. This would be like when you exchange land, when you bought land from somebody. He's doing that same kind of ancient thing. And what is he saying? He's crying as a lion. Nothing compares to the roar of a lion who stands in his own domain. On earth, from a natural being, nothing comes close. This roar is God's final warning to his enemies that he's coming. It's on. We're about to throw down. Now, how do I know that? Because the voice of God came out of the seven thunders. Where are the seven thunders elsewhere in Scripture? Well, they are in Psalm 29. I think we should look at it. Verses 3 through 9. It says, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory of God, the God of glory thunders over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Saran like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. Here it is. All of that was all just prephrased to get to this one line. And in his temple, all cry glory. All cry glory. The glory, it's right there. And out of that glory, John is given the mystery, just like Daniel, just like Paul. He's given the mystery. And what did the voice say? Good question. We don't get to find out. That's so sad. You can't figure it out. Now, at this point, 
Critical thinking, common sense says, don't try to figure it out, trust him instead. Well, that's good for you, but I'm a scholar, so I'm going to keep digging forward until I find all these mysteries out. And then when I come back and tell you all the mysteries of God, you'll all look at me as if I'm the scholar of scholar. So it's all based in vanity and significance. John was told not to write it down. So the angel speaks up in verse 5 through 7. In verse 5 through 7, the angel himself speaks up, and that's our point number three today. The angel speaks up. Jesus, Jesus pledges by his Father one thing. Did you hear what he pledged in that chapter? He pledged no more delays. No more delays. What does that tell us? That tells us that God is delaying. Why? All the eternal plans and visions of God are about to come to pass. So what's happening? I think God wants us to remember, and here at Fresh Encounter Church, this is how I'm going to roll, just so you know, is that days of delay in reality are days of opportunity. When the waiting is over, all the sinners will be punished and will perish. Some of us are looking for justice in that moment, but most of us, that justice will turn to mourning. Like I say, I, I'm with that missionary who says, when you get your mind around and your heart around and your whole soul around the being of the great sacrifice done for you, that it's a free gift, the missionary said, obviously from England, he said, I would crawl, if this is actually true, you should be willing to crawl across all of London on broken glass to tell your worst enemy this good news. And some of us are afraid of being called a Jesus freak. It's all going to be over. And we're going to be saying, how long, Lord? How long? And soon we're going to hear, it's now, my child. It's coming now. What relative of yours? What person of yours? What friend of yours you know has made a public proclamation that they do not have anything to do with Christ? And now there's no more delays. You know what I mean? Stuff can happen so, so fast without you even knowing it. You know, just out of the blue. That quick. And it's all over. I'm not going to my grave with my family having any doubts about the stuff I tried to do, the stuff I did, where my heart was. I'm good to go. I've lived a full life. I've lived a, a life day by day, even every day in Iowa, just living it out for Jesus. How can he use us? How can we be an asset to the kingdom? Oh, today, Lord, I really, I ticked off three people. I didn't mean to. I'm, I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm not an asset to your kingdom today. Eh, he'll work with that. You know what I mean? He'll work with that. Last point of the day. The book shows out. Point number three, the book shows out. John could see the book. John now knows the contents. But until he took it personally, he was not bettered. There is something going on here that is so important for Christians who want to serve Jesus in 2023. It's for you. He was not bettered until he ate the book. Now, I remember being a younger person reading this going, what? 
Was it really a donut that looked like a book? Was it a spoiled donut that tasted good? Then yeah. No, it was a book. It's the word of God. It's another way that God is showing us that his word is actual food. I'm going to give you some examples out of scripture. But I want you to understand, you wake up hungry. And this, if this, this is never going to happen. This is a hypothetical. But you wake up hungry, and as you're going to the breakfast table, God looks at you and he says, look, you only get one today. You can have my word, or you can and wait till lunch, or you can eat this breakfast right here. Which one do you want? Answer that question. I'm probably taking the bagel, i got to be honest. I can read his word later in the day. You get what I'm saying? I mean, we, we think like that sometimes. But you go without God's word for a while, the value of it increases in you because the Spirit owns you and wants to increase it in you. Why? Because you gave yourself to Jesus, those of you who have been born again. So why do I say the word is food? Well, let's look at three scripture verses. Matthew 4, 4. It says, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but out of every word that comes from the mouth of God. Psalm 119, 103 says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Jeremiah 15, 16, your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy, the delight of my heart. And I'm called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. See, the word does no good until you chew on it, until you eat it, digest it. Until you've learned to feed off the book, you will be an unnourished Christian at best. Now, you get a twofold effect. It's both bitter and sweet, but it's not bittersweet as we would know bittersweet to be. It's very distinct. It's a sweet, then a bitter. Follow? Look at the twofold effect through the lens of a Hebrew writer, the writer of Hebrews, which we don't know. Some, some give it to Paul with no evidence that it's Paul. I've always thought it could be Apollos, it could be anybody, but no one knows who wrote Hebrews. But the Hebrew writer said in verse 12 of chapter 4, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. It can cut and divide your soul from your spirit of joints and marrow in discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. By the way, it's not what you do, it's the intention of your heart. The blessing and burden of the word, the blessing and burden of the word, it's a sweetness and a sadness, it's a happiness and a heartache. The future, the little book is prophetic, it tells us, and we're not, we don't get to hear it. But that book is, is wonderful for the saint but it's awful for the sinner. I think that's why we don't get to know until the other side. And the other thing is, is with the word comes responsibility. With the word comes responsibility. If we're gonna speak for God, we must know his word. If we know his word, then we must share it. If you wanna know the end times and you're not concerned about sharing the gospel, I gotta ask why. Why do you care about the end times if you don't wanna share the gospel? I believe we're living in the end times, and I'm going to figure out exactly when the rapture is going to take place. Who have you told about Jesus? Well, that's your job. If we're going to speak for God, we've got to know his word, and then we've got to share it. John was speaking concerning all these things in chapter 11 through 22, the rest of Revelation, and John did his job well. And I want to be able to say the same. And I want you to want to say the same right alongside me. 
We are presently living in the days of delay. I want us to pray and study and witness so that we may live and work for Jesus until he comes, but I don't want to do that with this sadness and this, I want to do it with the joy and laughter of, the, of life. Now, I know it wasn't very professional and it wasn't very spiritual, but I couldn't help it. Anna's playing the piano today and I'm standing right there. So I went over and set my head down. I said, I'm going to stand right here and sing and not distract you. And she couldn't stop laughing for a minute there. Now, I don't know why I did that. Are you mad at me, Anna? <laughs> no. I just thought it would be funny. I wanted to make her laugh. It just popped in my head. Now, I'm always like that. Emily won't let me and one of my daughters sit next to each other in church because we act up. I might look the size, but I'm too old to go to children's church. <laughs> so we want to pray, study, and witness, and, and we want to live and work for Jesus, but we have to have the joy, and it has to be well with us. And we have to go forward, and, 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 and people just, come on, let's, let's come together. We're moving this way. We just sang a song. We want to be in the room when we see God move. I'm watching God move all the time, and I want you guys to see it too. It's amazing. And it's over soon. Choose this day who you will serve. Are you ready to meet God? Let's bow our heads in prayer. And I don't like doing this, but I'd like you to bow your head and close your eyes. Because I'd like to know if there's anybody in this room right now who really would like to be introduced to Jesus. You don't know him. You're here for whatever reason and you'd like to make a proclamation, and you'd like to have somebody introduce you to Jesus. If that's you, no one's looking, just slip your hand up right now. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. I'd love to hang out with you guys after the service. I see you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there's some hearts that have been pricked today that want to know you, they want to they want to commit their lives to you. That movement in our midst, Lord, is the greatest of all. And it humbles us to think that you might use us in such a way. Lord, for others here that are strengthening their faith, that, that do know you, let us grow in our sanctification, our spiritual formation together. Let us, let us be what you want us to be, but mostly let us have that family, brother, and sisterhood joy that doesn't come from us. It comes from you. We love you, Jesus. Be with us and keep us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of my husband, Chris Danielson. BibleIdiots.com is still the website for this show, but we have grown. The new parent ministry is found at FreshRoadMedia.com. We would love to have you join us on our sister broadcast, a talk show that walks out Christian living and Bible apologetics entitled No Apology with Emily and Chris, a weekly download from freshroadmedia.com. Both broadcasts are listener supported and we would love to have you join us as the Lord leads. I'm Emily Danielson and thank you so much for spending some time with us today. And may you see the blessings of the Lord as you go and serve your King.